Father, we give you glory. We thank you. We bless your name. Holy Spirit, we welcome you into this place. Come and have your way with us and in us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Jeremiah chapter number 18. Jeremiah chapter number 18. We're going to read a few scripts, chapter, uh, verses in Jeremiah chapter 18 as we look at starting afresh with God in the ministry. Starting afresh with God in the ministry. I think I've been able to prove that God is a starter up again of things. Hallelujah. In Genesis, we realize God started the world, isn't it? Yes. And then as time went on, it got to around Genesis chapter 8, 7, 8. God had to destroy the world that he created and start all over again. Remember, when Noah came, rose up, and the floods came to scatter everything. And the Bible says that when Noah released the dove that went, the bed that went out, to see if he could find dry ground, and it came with a little branch. Then it was time, there was a rainbow. How many remember there was a rainbow? And God made a new covenant to say that he would no longer destroy the world with water. Hallelujah. And then he started again. And then when he got to Malachi, there was a break. And God knew that he had to start again. So he sent Jesus to come, and that was the beginning of the New Testament. Hallelujah. So God always starts again. It's, it's amazing that human beings, we become creatures of uh, comfort, creatures of familiarity, if normal, and we don't want to start again. Even when things are going wrong, we still want to press on in the wrong. Hallelujah. I think last week we were talking about how the things were broken, and then still, human beings wanted to stay, and I, 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 that was in, um, I get confused where I preached and what I preached. <laughs> in Ezra, Ezra chapter 3, I preached it in the hall. Ezra chapter 3, the Bible says that um, the temple had been brought down, destroyed, Mangled up. And the Zadok and his brethren gathered Jerubbabel, the son of Satiel, and all this, and they began to rebuild the altar. They rebuilt the altar, and um, they, when they had finished, there was a lot of rejoicing with the younger people. But the older people, the elder brothers, the older people, around verse number, number 12, 13, says that, but many, go to Ezra chapter 3, okay. But many of the priests and the Levites and the heads of the father's house and the old men, when they had, who had seen the first temple, verse 13, wept, wept with a loud voice when the foundation of the temple was laid before their eyes. Let yet many shouted aloud for joy. So there was, so that the people could not discern the noise of the shout for, of joy from the noise of weeping of the people 
For the people shouted with a loud voice, and the sound was heard afar off. So in that day, there was confusion. Some people were happy. Some were sad. You see, the reason why the older people were sad was because they had seen the former temple. And to them, it is better for us to worship even in the ruins of the former temple than to upgrade or to rebuild. Because human beings don't like new things. We don't like new something that is starting every, a new, uh, again, because a new thing means we have to put, put in more effort. A new thing means that we have to get out of our comfort zone. A new thing means that, you know, we are uncertain. We like to be certain. That is why when COVID came, we were all shaking. We were all distracted. I mean, it's like the new normal was not very, very, it was unsettling. How many felt something unsettling? When COVID came, because it was that is not what who we are, you know that is not what we 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 like. We are not people who stay in the room from morning to night. There were a lot of divorces, there was a lot of abuses, uh, uh, what domestic abuses, because husbands were feeling irritated with the complaints of wives. Wives were feeling irritated with the complaints of husbands, and so there was a lot of confusion. We don't like new things. We don't like new systems. We don't like something new. So there's always resistance. And unfortunately, even as Christians, as children of God, as people who really want to have a close relationship with God, we don't want God to come up new. We want what we're already used to. Are you with me? When it comes in a loud voice of thunder, we can receive it because we have heard him like that before. But when it comes in a still small voice, it's very unnerving for us. Because it's like we don't want to have to be in a place where we are not sure. Uh, I don't know what I'm making sense. We don't want to be in a place where we are not sure. That is how come for most of us, when we go to any, any place, when we relocate and we go to a place... And the mode of worship is not like what we are used to. We feel like fish out of water. We can't easily adapt. Am I making sense at all? The way you've gone quiet. We, we, we can't easily adapt because we are used to what we are used to. And we don't want to be made to do things differently. We will say the spirit is not there. You are used to a pastor who shouts and jumps and is sweating and it's like, yeah, this our pastor is very anointed. So when an, another person comes and he's not shouting and he's just talking, you feel like, no, no, there's no spirit in it. But actually, in, in John chapter 6, verse 63, it says that the words that I speak to you, they are spirit and they are life. It's not in the shout. It's in the power behind the words. Somebody will shout and shout and nothing will happen. Somebody will just speak, and, it's, and it's, something will happen. God uses any and everything. You know, some people like when you don't you don't shout in prayer and spit in my face. You haven't prayed. This is your prayer. They don't like short prayers. <laughs> they like prayers that you after you finish your face is all wet. Pastor really went to town. 
And you feel that, yes, pastor has prayed. So you see that eh, the people, the older people could not adjust easily with the new move. Are you with me? But I read somewhere in Haggai that the glory of the latter house, chapter 2, says that the glory of the latter house will be greater than the former. Every time God does a new thing, the new thing he's doing is better than the thing that he did before. I don't know whether I'm making sense. He's, he, it, it, it's always, he's, 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 the new thing he's doing is always better. Forget about the former things. Forget about the former glory. Forget about the former building. The former building may have looked nicer to you because it looked very, very spooky and very, you know, solemn. You know, some of our older folks, they can't worship in, in uh, church buildings like ours, the modern church building. I, I, a, fr- a friend of mine, a bishop friend of mine, criticized me. He says that I have lost respect for you. This is a bishop, very close friend of mine, because you are, you are bringing disco into the church. And I said, why? He said, because you put colored lights. I'm not telling a story. This is recent. You have put colored lights and disco lights in the church. And it, it, it's making your service lose so, so the solemnness. <laughs> <laughs> the solemnness of the service is lost because you have put colored lights. I said, God is not nervous with lights. God hasn't got, um, uh, what is that disease that makes people? Epilepsy. God is not epileptic. That lights that are flashing will make him go into a bout. <laughs> are you with me? God will worship anywhere and everywhere. God is not nervous of loud music. Neither is he nervous of solemn music. God is not a a stickler of hymns. Neither is he a stickler of drum and bass. I don't know whether I'm making sense. There are some people who will not worship in a place like this because there's drums here. Because God is not in drums. Drums is secular. He likes pipe organ. But you see, what you forget is that in the 1900s, pipe organ was the sound system at the time. It was the main thing. That is why when you listen to the the old music in that era, which was the the modern music, was hymns. was organ type of music, even when it was secular. Mm. (laughs) I don't know whether you are getting what I'm saying. Some of the, the classical music, they use organs and stuff like that. Because at that time, that was the modern music. So how do you equate holiness to organ? Uh, I don't know whether I'm getting through to you. There are some people say, when the person wears a gown, then the person is priestly and holy. You know, when the person wears like normal clothes, no, we don't think the person is anointed. That's why occasionally I wear my gown to make you know that I'm a priest. <laughs> Because sometimes when you don't wear the gown, a friend of mine says that occasionally I wear my gown to church to preach. Because sometimes the people have to feel that. <laughs> I, am a, I am a man of God. This type of wearing on my jeans and things, it, it takes something out of. How many understand what I'm trying to say? Yeah. So, 
So you see, you have to you have to get to a place where you are not easily dissuaded, easily disturbed and distracted by the aesthetics. You should be able to decipher when God is doing something and when God is not. Are you with me? Because God is not in the the loudness. He's not in the brightness. He's not in the, you know, in those days when they they build a church building, they, they, they have to stain the glass with some architectural designs, some colored designs. But that was the modern day, modern, uh, what do you call, at the time. Even people in their homes would stain their glasses with designs because that was architecture. It doesn't mean that when you stain the glass, it means the place is holy. It just tells you the date the thing was built. You know, and those people have a certain say. Even in in a building like this, we are not allowed to modernize it too much. If I'm to tell you the amount of fight we had to fight to remove the pews, to put these chairs, you'll be amazed. To the point that they said, by all means, keep one of the pews or keep a couple. I said, okay, fine. I'll keep the pews. Don't worry. Then I found a place that will not disturb us. <laughs> I said, okay. So I, I, I said, told them, we have put the pews. And I put the camera in such a way that it looked like I put a lot of pews. <laughs> then they came to check. So okay, there's pews in the place. So that's fine. At least it retains Are you getting what I'm saying? Because people like what they like, and what they like is what they are used to and not what is new. But the God we serve is a God who is always doing new things. The God who is always flowing in a new direction. The God who is always using new people, new flow. And so the people of God must learn how to be very... Malleable. That is why we are going to read a scripture we are going to read in Jeremiah 18. Because the God we, we, we are serving is a God that is like a porter. So with that said, let's go to Jeremiah 18. Are you there? The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying, Arise and go down to the porter's house. There I will cause you to hear my words. Then I went down to the porter's house, and there he was, making something at the wheel. The vessel that he made of clay was mad in his hands, in the hand of the porter. So he made it again into another vessel, as it seemed good to the porter to make. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, House of Israel, can I not do with you as the porter, says the Lord. Look, as the clay is in the porter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. The instant I speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to pluck up and to pull down and to destroy it, if that nation against whom I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent of the disaster that I thought to bring upon it. Then the, insta- that, then the instant I speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to build and to plant it, if it does evil in my sight, so 
that it does not obey my voice. Then I'll relent concerning the good with which I said I would benefit it. Now, therefore, speak to the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, saying, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I am fashioning a disaster and devising a plan against you. Return now, everyone, from his evil and make your ways and your doings good. Hallelujah. Uh, for the sake of time, we have read the whole uh, passage, but then you see that what God was saying is that you, I am like the potter. And you are like the clay in my hand. The Bible says that he was, when he went to the potter's house, the potter, can you look for a picture of a potter? The potter was making a mug or a vessel. And when he made the vessel, it was slanted. So he decided to spoil it and do again. Are you getting a picture? At it felt good to him. Which means that it's not as it felt good to the clay, but as it felt good to the potter. Hallelujah. God has a plan for you and I. God has a purpose for you and I. The potter doesn't just make vessel for the sake of making vessel. The potter has to start with a plan. The plan is that I am making a plate. Or I'm making a, a, a mug. Or I'm making a pot. Are you getting it? There must be a plan. And then the plan is if the, that clay is not fitting the, what I want to make it into, I have the option to spoil it, to make it again, or to spoil it and make another thing. Because the same clay can make a plate. The same clay can make, yeah, that's a nice, beautiful picture. The same plate can make a mug. The same plate can make a vase. I, the clay can make a vase. So he is skillfully making it. We are all being skillfully made into a vessel. Am I making sense? And you see, sometimes, like where you are, what you are hearing now, is part of the making. Is then part of if this particular clay decides to be stiff and decide that I'm not going to be made into a, a pot because I want to be a mug. And so it starts to resist the direction. You see, the guy puts the thing on the wheel. The wheel is spinning. And as it's spinning, he's using his fingers. Put the picture back. Keep putting the picture until I tell you not to. So he keeps Making it, making it, he's very careful. Precept upon precept, here a little, there a little. God is making us into what he wants us to be. Am I making sense? Where you have been, where you used to be, and where you are, is all part of the making. And where you end up, is all part of the making. And so learn how not to resist Learn how not to want to become a creature of the past. I don't know whether I'm getting through to you. Learn how not to be the person that you want, you used to be. It's like, oh, as for me, I want to stay a musician. I was talking to a musician one day and I was telling that, listen, God is calling you 
to another place. He says, no, 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 no. I want to stay a musician because that is my passion. That is where I believe God has called me. I said, God calls everybody at the junction. David was one of the greatest musicians that ever lived. He was writing music at the backside of the desert whilst the sheep were grazing. Then he sits to write poetry and writes music. And he was a very skillful musician. So you'd be playing and composing music and singing. You would have thought that that is all that David has been called to become. To become a, the greatest musician, the greatest singer, the greatest and most anointed uh, psalmist there is. But that is not the, that was the first encounter, but that was not the only encounter. Because from there, he was calling him to be a fighter. Can you imagine, instead of singing, you become a military man. And instead of being a military man, you become a priest. And instead of being a priest, you become a prophet. And instead of remaining a prophet, you become a king. That is all part of God's call on this man. So it was, it, it's like initially it started like a cup. Then as he kept on making it, it grew bigger than a cup. Then it became like, oh, it looks like a vase, a flower. Then as it grew, no, it's not a vase. It's growing bigger and bigger. Then it became a huge Clay pot, a designed clay pot that you put in a, in a house or something. Am I making sense? Yeah, but if David had resisted that, that's for me, I want to stay a musician. I want to write. I am a writer of music, and I want to stay writing music. I want to stay playing instruments. What would have happened to Israel when Goliath came? What would have happened to the kingdom? What would have happened? Am I making sense at all? The way you've gone quiet, I don't know whether. So I am I'm trying to get us to become very malleable and very stay in the hands of God and allow God to finish whatever he's making with you. Don't be in a hurry to jump out of the, the, inch, the wheel because you feel that you are finished. How many understand what I'm saying? Uh, for me, it's okay. I, I'm, where I am, it's okay. I am, I'm done. I want, uh, it's a cup and I'll finish. You are finished making me, so let me jump off. As funny as it sounds, some, that is how some of us, we are. We become people that we don't want, especially when God has used us in an area before. That is what we think is our calling. And we want to stay there. And not allow God to do more with us. As for me, I'm a minstrel. I am a, 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 choir, a choirister. I am a, a leader of a choir. That's where my anointing is. Has God finished with you? Is that all God can use you for? Or is there more? As for me, I lead praise and worship. Has God finished with you? Is that all God can use you for? As for me, I, am a, a, I come to church and I am part of the church. Is that all God can use you for? Or is there more? As for me, I'm an observer. Is that all you can do? 
Ask your neighbor, is that all you can do? Or is there more? <laughs> I am an observer. I come to the church. I am the, one of the people that makes church happen because I come. My presence is very important. Yes, it's good for your presence to be important. But is that all God can do with you? Or is there more? I believe that all of us here, if we allow God, then we'll see the final product he's making with us. I don't know whether you're getting it. You just have to allow. The, the whole import of the, of the sermon is that allow God to finish with you. God doesn't just start and makes a thing. Two minutes later, he's finished. No, no, no. It's a process. He works on us. Then shall we know if we follow on to know. As we follow on, then it becomes clearer and clearer where he's taking us. As the musician dropped his harp and went to battle and then came back victorious and didn't stay in the victory and didn't stay in the revel in the fact that I have won, I've killed Goliath, but he, he decided to go on to become the captain of Israel and move from being a captain to become the one who plays music for uh, the king's madness to go. See, I told you that when God took David to go and play for the king's madness to go like Moses, he was being taught leadership. Because as Saul is ruling over the people and judging cases, He's learning because he's just standing, sitting there and playing the instrument as the king is talking to his, uh, his council and everything. He's just playing. But as he's playing, he's learning. How many of us learn as we are watching? Learn as we, we are in church? Learn. A lot of us can be with a great man of God and learn nothing. It's as if your eyes are closed. You don't hear anything. You don't know anything. You are not learning anything. But you see, the privilege we have is the closeness. One day, they were looking for a prophet. There were no prophets around. Jehoshaphat said, is there not a prophet in Israel? As for prophets, when you are talking about prophets, the last one we had was Elijah, and he died or he was taken up. We don't know what happened to him. They said he was taken up. Some people say he, he died. Some people say he drowned in the Jordan. We, we are not sure. But he's gone. And so there is nobody. So he asked, ah, isn't there anybody else? So the only person we know around is uh, Elisha, who was the personal assistant of Elijah. And they, what did he do? He poured water in his hands. Oh, was he very close to him? Yes, he was very, very close. Anytime you see Elijah, you see Elisha. Because he was following him. He said, go and bring him. Because the word of God is in his mouth. What was he saying? That if he had stayed with the man of God, then he has observed. If he has observed, then anointing has been passed through. Are you with me? But I know a lot of people who are 
personal assistant to the, the pastor who have nothing. Because all they are looking is to criticize the man of God. All they are looking is what they can get. Gehazi was looking because Gehazi was the previous servant of Elijah. He was looking for his, his, his uh, quick, he can use the man of God to make his own little, you know, and quick turn about. Say, oh, oh uh, 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 Bishop said, oh, prophet said, no, a prophet hasn't said anything. Hallelujah. What happens when God is doing a new thing? What happens when God is doing a new thing? Number one, when God is doing something new, it often requires us to step up into the unknown, uncomfortable, and scary lane. When God is doing something new, it requires that we step up and step into the unknown, the uncomfortable, and the scary lane. Unknown, uncomfortable, undesirable, and the scary lane. And I've just said that human beings as we are, we don't like the unknown. We don't like the scary how many felt COVID-19 was unknown? And COVID-19 was scary? Because you hear somebody has died. Somebody, somebody was, you know, one of our church members from Hall. The father went to work in the morning. Came back. To, came back home. Started coughing. By midnight he was dead. I mean, he was a strong man. There was nothing wrong with him. He went to work, came back home, started coughing. By midnight, he was dead. How many of you feel that that is very scary? And that is very unnerving, very uneasy. And that is what COVID-19 gave. And human beings, as we are, we don't like scary things. Even though I know some people in this room that like scary movies. <laughs> Hallelujah. But Isaiah 43, we're looking at it last week. 18 says that do not remember the former things, nor consider the things of old. 19 says that for I do a new thing. Hallelujah. Behold, I do a new thing. It shall spring forth, shall you not know it? I'll even make a road in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Hallelujah. So when God is doing something new, it means that we have to get into the lane that is unknown. The lane that is unnerving. The lane that is scary. Uh, a little over 10 years ago, after being a pastor for many, many years, and pastoring, I'd pastored in uh, uh, Birmingham for over 10 years. I went to Paris to pastor as a missionary for a year. I went to South Africa from there for, to pastor for two years. And I'd come, I came back. And, and, and as I was coming back, 
I thought I was coming back to where I knew, to Birmingham that I had known. And then somehow the Lord impressed upon us to walk into Leeds. And I had, all my life, I had not, never been to Leeds. My wife had been to Leeds once, yes? Once or twice. She had been to Leeds twice. I had never been to Leeds before. Are you with me? It was unnerving. It was, will I succeed or will I fail? Going to Paris, I had never been to Paris. I didn't speak French. I spoke, <laughs> I spoke the A-level French that I did, which I had forgotten over 20-something years. <laughs> At the time, you know, so it's like it was going to it. And I went by myself. I went into a city I didn't know. I arrived in Paris at 9 p.m. without a house. We didn't book a hotel. We didn't know anybody in Paris. And I don't know why we decided to drive from Birmingham to, into town. And we just came. I wish I had that faith that I had then today. We just drove in, not knowing anybody. By 1 a.m., we had found a house. And we stayed in that house for three months. Didn't know anybody in the place. Don't speak the language. Drove in, didn't know anybody. I didn't know anybody. Landed there. We were driving around. We didn't know where we were going. So as soon as we got into Paris, then we, I asked myself, so where are we going? We didn't book a hotel. We didn't, and at that time of the night, which hotel are we going to book? And who is going to direct us to a hotel? So we started, oh, so what are we going to do? Ah, hey, do you know that? So now we're calling back to London to find out if somebody knew somebody who knew somebody who was living in Paris. And we, I don't even know how we found somebody who knew somebody who knew somebody. But we found somebody who knew somebody who knew somebody who knew somebody. And we called a certain guy in the middle of the night. Now, how do you speak to the guy? <laughs> so we called the guy. So with my broken French and things... <laughs> I managed to tell the guy that we have landed to, in town and we don't know anybody. And he was at work at the time. In the night. This, by this time, it was around 1 a.m. By this time, it was around 1 a.m. We're just driving in Paris, just driving. So he called somebody who called somebody and the person said, Come. Now, how do we locate the place? Because at the time, we didn't have this type of GPS, no, nothing. So we, we are asking, how do you ask in French that you're going to this place? <laughs> so we drove to a place called Nanterre. Now, we go to Nanterre, it's a very busy place. Now, we go to Nanterre. And then now you have to find you. So we found 
in the middle of the night. By this time, it was around 2 in the morning. Then we found the, the, the house. Then went to knock on the door. Then the lady opened the door. This lady doesn't speak even there in English. Now, sit down. Now, who are you? And what are you doing here? How many can see that when God is taking you, it's always the, the scary, unnerving, uneasy. No, I'd been a pastor for 10 years. We had bought the building that we were, were in. We we're doing about four services. I had my bodyguards. Uh, you know this church, I don't have bodyguards, but in the t- at the time I had two in front, two on my side, and two at the back. When I land in church, it's very, very powerful. But as soon as my car comes, as my car is reaching the place, they are, my people are waiting for me. One will open the door. Then as I step, one will take my bag. Then I'll be going. Then they'll be in front and the side. Then I'll, I'll enter. You have to start now. <laughs> I used to be a big man, no. <laughs> so it's like with all my entourage, now I am alone. <laughs> In the middle of the night with this woman. And she don't speak any English. And my French is not good. So we and we spoke. I mean, she told the, the guy who Connected as if he's a man of God and he's a pastor and he's come to do church in Paris, I will let him stay in my house. I stayed in the house for three and three and a half months. I stayed there. And we became best friends. Myself and this lady. And we can sit and chat till the morning. Don't ask me what language we're chatting in. <laughs> but she said that she would never ever learn any English. And she would not, she insisted that I speak French. Because if you are going to be a pastor in Paris, you must speak French. And so we'll, we'll, we'll converse and say, okay, let's have our quiet time. In the morning, she'll call, Pastor? <laughs> But she said, sit down, let's have a let's have quiet time. Now take the Bible. Now preach to me in French. <laughs> Hallelujah. When God is taking you to a new place, you must be willing to step out of the comfort zone. Step out of the usual. Your your two bodyguards in front, two at the back, two on the side. No. Drop all of them. Now we have to go on evangelism in one of the dodgiest places in the world, not speaking English. As we are doing evangelism in front of the train station, just where this guy is sitting, somebody is selling drugs. And just by somebody selling roasted corn. <laughs> Serious. Roasted corn, you know the roasted corn, like the one they do in Africa. Somebody's doing it right there. Then, like this side, this side, 
line up guys. They're just standing around. They're, they're all drug dealers. Malians, Senegalese, Sudanese, and they all have things, weapons and things. And which we have our flyers. And we give you the flyer. Now you say, Sequasa. The Lord is there. have to. What have you been through? <laughs> So at the point, the children were doing more evangelism than us. Because when the children go and give the, the flyers, they, they oh, say, oh, merci. Then the children, they, they're very excited. So they're talking to the people and everything. So, so we push the children. <laughs> Hallelujah. Yeah. The temptation was trying to hold on to what you know. Are you with me? What we knew was in the UK. What we knew was in Birmingham, in Wolverhampton. I was passing one church. She was passing another church. We had different churches under, under us. It was very comfortable. Am I making sense? It was very comfortable. We, was, we all know, we knew what to do at any time. Now God says, behold, I do a new thing. I am doing something in my hand. Allow me to do what I want to do. Don't stop. Don't resist. Hallelujah. When you wish to hold on, it gets to a point, if God is trying and trying and trying and you are not malleable, he spoils you. The scripture says, when the thing that the porter was trying to do did not work. What did he do? He spoiled it to make again. Hallelujah. May you not be spoiled in the hand of God. I say, may you not be spoiled in the hand of God. Allow God to use you and make whatever he wants to make out of your life. You have to learn how to let go and trust God. David got to a place, he had to learn to trust God. If God says that leave the sheepfold and go to where Goliath is, he shouldn't resist because it's part is pathway into the palace. He has to go through Goliath. He has to go through the place that is not comfortable. He has to go through the place, but he went trusting God. When Goliath came at him, what did he say? He said, you come to me with spears and arrows, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of the armies of Israel that you are defying. Hallelujah. God is always interfering in our lives. Hallelujah. God is always interfering in our lives. And we have to learn how to trust him. As I finished school and I went into my profession, I was very comfortable in my profession. And he says, no, now leave your profession. See, it was like, okay, I'm doing my profession and I am pastoring a church. Very easy. So Monday to Friday, 
I am working as an accountant. Saturday and Sunday, I am a pastor. Easy. Now, he says that leave the job and go and be a missionary. So now I am no longer working as an accountant. I am now a missionary. And don't be a missionary in an English-speaking place. Go to a French-speaking country. How many understand what I'm trying to say? It takes you having total trust in God. <laughs> you know, the funny thing is that at a point we had to go back to school to learn adult education. <laughs> adult education in, in French. So we're sitting, we're sitting with people who have never been to school. They are French speakers, but they've never gone to school before. And we are in the same classroom. I was in the upper class. He was in the lower class. <laughs> so when it comes to, can you imagine you have to learn how to do conjugation and learn how to do tenses? <laughs> to conjugate tenses. And you see, uh, they will give, they will give, uh, uh, they will give us work to do because I'm in the upper class. They give me harder work to do, so I'm doing my work, and they begin their work. Now, when it comes to reading and writing, she's very good. She will do finish. When she finishes the work, then she will come and knock me. Go and give it to the teacher. Because when you go and give it to the teacher, I'll ask you, have you finished? How did he find it? She didn't want to speak to the teacher and embarrass herself. So she said, go and give it to the teacher. Then I said, ah, I haven't finished my work. You go and give it to the teacher. They say, it is because of you I'm here. <laughs> I was comfortable in my place. You said that God has called you, so we should come. That is why we are here. So don't come and disturb me. Go and give it to the teacher. <laughs> she was Chantal. Go and give it to the then Chantal will see the fight that they are, we are fighting among ourselves. Yeah. The Gloria, <laughs> the Gloria, come here. <laughs> then she'll get angry. Then she'll just squeeze her face at me. Then, <laughs> so they say, "What is it?" Then she ask, "What is it?" Then she. <laughs> You don't want to talk to, to Chantal. Chantal wants her to talk. She said, no. She said, so when the people, other people in the class, when they are finding difficult, they'll go to her. She said, this one, what should I do? <laughs> then she'll do the work for them. But she, she won't take her work. When she's finished, she's sitting there waiting for me to finish my work and take but we had to do whatever we had to do in order to respond to what God wanted to do. How many understand what I'm trying to say? So, in this new season and in this new place, ask yourself, what is God wanting to do through me? And the thing that maybe God wants you to do 
it's going to take you out of your comfort zone. Hallelujah. How many understand what I'm trying to say? All right. Let's look at the, the second one, the last one for today. Is that okay? We'll continue next week. When God is doing something new, it also means that he's about to surprise your enemies beyond recovery. He's about to surprise your enemies beyond recovery. Remember how David said that God said to Michal, God chose me instead of your father. How many remember that? He said, me, I was in the backside of the desert with sheep. And God came and chose me instead of your father. Chose me out of the backside of the desert. Amongst all the brothers that were there, when they came to look for a, a, a king, they didn't even ask him to come when they were looking for the, the fashion parade to choose a king. He was not called. So when all the, the brothers failed, then they had to send from him for, for him from the, the backside of the desert to bring him as part. He shamed all his brothers because even his father didn't present him. But he came when God is doing something new, your own relatives will be ashamed. Your own critics will be ashamed of, of you. Hallelujah. I remember when we were coming back, people said, oh, no, this guy is finished. Look at how you have fallen. You used to be a great man with two in front, two on your side, two at the back. Now you are coming back alone. It's as if this guy is finished. But when God is doing something new, by the time you allow God to use you to do whatever, it will shame your enemies. And they will look and say, ah, how did he? The funny thing is that the, the, my colleagues are left at work and went. When I went, I didn't go as a full-time paid worker. I went as a missionary paying myself to be a missionary. Nobody paid me a pound. All the while I went to wherever I went, nobody paid me. The church never paid me anything. Nobody paid me a dime. I went, came back, and by the grace of God, I am richer than all my colleagues I left at work. As to how it happened, I can't tell you. But by the grace of God, the guys are left at work. They are still there. I can take you to the office. You see them all sitting there. I have gone and come. By the grace of God, I am wealthier than all of them. When God is doing something new in your life, if you allow him, he will make you, he'll surprise you, and your enemies will be surprised. I pray that we will allow God to use us. I pray that we will allow God to do whatever he's doing with us. Just trust him. The songwriter says, trust and obey. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Stand to your feet.